Welcome back to Pod TSC, a weekly LA Rams podcast. I'm Kenneth Arthur, and with me this week is former NFL quarterback JT O'Sullivan, a current uh, quarterback analyst, expert uh, draft analyst. And if you go to the QB school, uh, JT O'Sullivan, I didn't finish that sentence. JT O'Sullivan is with me. And if you go to the QB school on YouTube, uh, I was going there often during the 2021 pre-draft uh, uh, buildup, watching the quarterbacks through J.T. O'Sullivan's eyes, learning about the quarterbacks, uh, learning a lot about uh, X's and O's of football. I do recommend going to the QB school on YouTube uh, because now and, and J.T., he's, he's already into the 2022 draft including my favorite quarterback in college football, Grayson McCall. So I would go watch the Grayson McCall uh, analysts uh, and, and anything, anyone who might be your favorite quarterback, uh, but with me this week to talk about the Rams quarterback is JT O'Sullivan. JT, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Did I, did I get everything right on the QB school? You did a better job than I would have. Uh, yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, I have fun with all those things. It's funny to see how the channel uh, continues to evolve and really just kind of go down little rabbit holes of whatever I think is interesting. So I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I appreciate your very honest, straightforward uh, analysis and answers. And uh, I, I think there is a level of honesty through your analysis that not everybody uh, you get from everybody on, on TV necessarily, but right here, uh, I think, you know, your days on TV, should you want them? Uh, I look forward to more of that happening in the future. Uh, I, I want to run down, I think, you know, fans of uh, the NFL, if they were fans in the 2010s, there's a chance that, that you were on their team. Uh, so I, I, uh, if you don't mind, I want to run through quickly, briefly, just your stops, uh, in the NFL. Um, and if any of these are incorrect, then, then please do feel free to correct me. But beginning in 2002, from 2002 to 2004, you were with the new Orleans saints. Uh, and these are just NFL teams, green Bay Packers in 2004, bears and Vikings in 2005 Patriots and Panthers in 2006. Bears and Lions in 2007, 49ers in 2008, Bengals in 2009, Chargers in 2010, as well as the Raiders in 2010. Um, and then with several stops uh, in maybe the Frankfurt Galaxy, and then finally with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. This is all from Wikipedia. Can you confirm that Wikipedia is correct? Wikipedia got is is pretty good. Yeah, no, it's it's right on there. It feels that that feels like a lot. It uh it didn't quite feel like that many when I was going through it, but it, yeah, uh, reflecting on it, it certainly uh, felt well traveled. I like to tell people that I uh, played for a third of the league or over a third of the league. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, and I'm curious. You know, um, there are guys, uh, there are quarterbacks uh, that have certain experience, like maybe with a bunch of starts in the NFL and you didn't get a, a lot of starts in the NFL, but you did have that experience from that point of view. And I think that's a very unique, valuable experience. What did you learn being in that many rooms, being around that many different quarterbacks and quarterback coaches and head coaches? Like, what would you say was your paradigm, your point of view on the NFL as, as a player, as a quarterback, trying to stick in a room or trying to soak up knowledge everywhere you go, but then also consistently being on the move. What would you say you took away from that? I mean, just so many different nuggets. I think the, 
the core one that I thought resonated, you know, wherever I went was just a, a level of self-belief and resiliency that I felt like I belonged and was looking for opportunities to showcase that. And that doesn't mean that you weren't, you know, going to be a, a bad teammate or going to be selfish, you know, in that regard, you were going to prepare and do the best that you possibly can and hold the, the team first. But realizing that as a pro, you get paid to go out there and perform. And when you get your opportunity, you have to be ready and you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get yourself ready. And not everybody's the same in that regard. And, and coming at it from a really diligent and, uh, you know, systematic approach to making sure that you're ready to go when you get your opportunity and maximizing that opportunity because it, you know, it, it is a very finite opportunities across the league, especially for a guy like me, a division two non-scholarship guy mm -hmm. that uh, just being really strategic about preparation, being ready to go and executing. And then at the end of the day, you got to play at a high level enough to stick around and feel like you can help the team and the organization. And, and that's what I try to do at every one of those stops. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, your your college background, and very rare for somebody coming out of UC Davis or or someone coming out of a, a UC Davis uh, UC Davis adjacent type school anywhere in the school in the in the country. Very rare to get drafted, let alone in the sixth round. But you you managed to do that. Would you say that? because you're analyzing the draft so much now, and we know that the draft has changed. Do you think that coming out of UC Davis, um, do you think that would have been less important now? Or do you think that you would have, you could have even gone higher in the draft uh, in today's NFL? Like how much do you think that the draft has changed in evaluating quarterbacks in the last 20 years? I would hope that it's gotten better. I'm not sure that it has. Uh, I'm not sure that I would go higher or lower if I came out, you know, in, in the draft nowadays. I was really fortunate. Davis has a, a pretty unique history with quarterback play. Uh, they have a former first rounder, Ken O'Brien, who played mm. for the Jets. Mm -hmm. We actually went to the same high school as well. So I know Kenny O from a long time. And then the guy who played quarterback ahead of me, first two years of college, Kevin Daft got drafted in the fifth round by the Titans. And so mm -hmm. we had a really prolific offense and, and we were kind of ahead of the times as far as what we were doing, spinning the ball. And so it was, I was really fortunate in that regard, but the truth is, and this is what I tell young players, uh, you know, when they're getting in the recruiting processes, it, everybody thinks that they're going to go to the league, even if they don't tell you that. Mm -hmm. And the, the reality is, is if you're good enough, they will find you, yeah. you know, I, I, and that's hard to hear when you're a youngster and you feel like, you know, God, they're, you're pissed that you're a two-star and not a five-star or a four-star or, or things like that, that really don't, matter at the end of the day what matters is how well you perform what does your body of work look like and how do you project to impact an organization on Sundays and if you're fortunate enough to play at a lower level institution like I was as far as division two or division three or NAIA you really have to pop on the screen and on the film and it's not impossible it's just mm -hmm. different paths to that but it's certainly less likely than going to a power five institution and and taking the normal kind of trajectory to that but I think that the quarterback position itself has gotten so much better across the board and it starts, you know, at who's playing the quarterback position, the lower levels, I think are improving the access to information, high quality coaching position, specific coaching has gotten so much better. It's accelerated the learning of so many younger quarterbacks mm -hmm. that I think you see that in the play at the higher levels of college where guys are coming in doing three years in, in 
going into the draft and then coming into the league and playing at a high level. And so it's exciting for the position and, and I have fun taking a peek at some of those players. Uh, and one more thing before we get into the Rams and, and the, their quarterback situation, just based, just jumping off of that point, uh, the Rams will presumably be facing uh, a quarterback coming out of a, uh, you know, uh, not a power five school twice a year at some point in Trey Lance. Um, eventually, uh, as you were doing your quarterback analysis and, and not having that t- as much tape on Trey Lance in the last year as, as nobody did, um, how fearful should uh, the rest of the NFC West be uh, with Trey Lance in Kyle Shanahan's offense, do you think? And, uh, and do you see that happening to any degree this year? Yeah, I think it's one of the my favorite storylines of this coming upcoming NFL season. Mm-hmm. I think that if you don't know anything about the program that he came from at North Dakota State, it's probably the premier FCS, what was Division One AA for a long time, football. They play football at a very high level. You know, the quote-unquote a pro-style offense. He's under center. He's doing things that you will translate to Sundays. And you're, you're right on as far as the issue about no current or recent film made the, uh, you know, the analysis of what his projection more difficult. And I think for, you know, anybody that, that tries to do what I'm doing as far, it's always incomplete anyway, because we never speak to the players. We never talk to the coaches, you know, it's just off the film. And it's a big jump from being a 19 year old playing for the first time in college to, you know, coming out of the draft for the draft, essentially 18 months later, you can get significantly better. And uh, I think it's a fascinating pick for the Niners. They obviously gave up a lot to make it happen and, and got to be feeling great about what he brings to the organization. But, you know, there, there will certainly be some learning pains as well, just like there is for anybody playing the position young in the league. And so it's going to be fascinating to see. But, man, in a half a decade, he could be causing all sorts <laughs> of issues for that division. Yeah, uh, it'll be uh, – there's so many interesting quarterbacks uh, coming into the league – this year and it seems like you know that's only going to get grow next year it seems like as as we're looking at the quarterbacks to come out next year which i think is uh i wonder which teams are looking to 2022 already and that's why they haven't made a big move at quarterback but the rams did make a big move at quarterback they did not uh care to wait until 2022's draft which they could have they could have rested with jared goff and said we know that Jared Goff, you know, 2018 was not too long ago. We know that with a very strong defense, maybe the Rams could survive another year and then, and then look to the uh, 2022 draft when they would have a first round pick again. And then they could trade up or do something for, you know, there's five or six, again, first round type quarterbacks as of now, that'll change. But looking at Jared Goff, uh, obviously everybody was tuned into the Rams offense in 2017 and 2018 when it was, you know, not just the best in the, in the league and in many regards, but to have had that Sean McVay influence and to go from 32nd to first over uh, one off season was truly uh, something fascinating to watch. And Jared Goff uh, was one of the main benefactors of all of the changes, including Andrew Whitworth and Sean McVay and Robert Woods and Cooper cup. You know, there's so many things going on at that time and then in 2019 you know after the super bowl loss since then 
Jared Goff and the Rams offense hasn't been so spectacular, maybe average at best. Before we get to the new quarterback, uh, JT, I'm wondering what your evaluation, what your thoughts were on Jared Goff's career from the best moments in 2018 and whether or not you thought that that was sustainable to the point where Sean McVay and the, and Jared Goff had to go their separate ways. Like what was your analysis on Goff's career through those moments? Yeah, I would probably be a little bit more in the middle, I guess is the nicest way to say it as opposed to someone who's a quote unquote, you know, diehard Rams fan. Mm-hmm. I think coming in as a number one pick, there will always be ridiculously high expectations. And he was one game away from bringing that to the franchise. And you can kind of see not necessarily the same start to the career, but similar kind of uh, impact of losing a Super Bowl on Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, whether whether you you nail it down on one player or not, the performance of that game on certain critical turnovers or misses certainly feels like it has uh, deep ramifications. And I think that most people who watch the Rams or have seen a, a decent amount of the Rams will know that Jared Goff maybe does not have the skill set that other guys do about pushing the ball down the field. And that confines a play caller to a certain extent. When you look across the league and you see guys making monster throws vertically down the field, outside the numbers consistently, it stretches a defense like you should be able to stretch a defense nowadays. And to feel like you have handcuffs on as play callers, uh, it's got to be frustrating, especially with that type of run game, play action, boot world, where they feel like they can create space down the field to take advantage of some some speed. To now be able to do that with a new guy, I think is is probably pretty exciting for mm-hmm. for Sean McVay. But you know, I, I have a lot of respect for Jared Goff. I know it's easy to kind of you know brush him off and move him to another city, but I mean, he brought a lot of offensive success to that yeah. organization. And I don't care who's calling the plays. You know, you still have to go out there and play the position at a high level consistently and to do that and execute with that level of offense for multiple years is impressive and always will be impressive. And and hopefully he gets an opportunity to play at a high level again in Detroit. How, how important is that to match when you're drafting a quarterback? Because Jared Goff was not drafted for Sean McVay's offense. They did not know that Sean McVay would be the head coach uh, a year later, how important, especially as we're looking at this now, as we're matching, you know, Kyle Shanahan to Trey Lance and Urban Meyer to Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson to Robert Sala and, and his offensive coaching and, and all that kind of stuff. How important do you think that 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 is? And why do you, why why not like for a number one pick, not just a number one pick, but for trade up in a number one pick. And we had the same thing with Carson Wentz trading up for a number two pick in the same year. And both quarterbacks have had such oddly paralleled careers and both quarterbacks traded this year. Um, Like with regards to how Jared Goff would be, this has to be the guy to a few years later saying he can't move the ball downfield. Is that something that is expected to get better with a quarterback as he grows? Or is that one of the things that you can develop and, uh, and, and having the right coaching to do that? I, I think that there are probably elements of it that you can develop and continue to work on and improve and make it a kind of an intentional focus, whether it's during the off season or, you know, in a weekly plan environment. But at the end of the day, you are what you are. 
you know, you're, you're about, you know, half a decade in the league. Plus you're, you're going to, you're going to basically, you know, be what you are as far as a thrower, in my opinion, now you can certainly still continue to improve, but as far as coming out there and having like a Josh Allen type transformation, throwing the ball, you know, I, I feel like would be a pretty significant stretch. I just think it's one of those things where the position has really evolved even since Jared Goff mm. has been drafted. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you look across the landscape of the league and, and Carson Wentz, I, I would say is not, a, obviously it's a nice analogy because of where they got drafted, but mm-hmm. Carson Wentz is a big, strong, athletic dude that can create off platform. And when he's healthy, he was almost, you know, an MVP of the league. Mm-hmm. Now it certainly didn't work out in, in Philly for, for really different reasons, but he is a little bit more in line with what I think the position is moving towards as far as great athlete, dynamic, can kind of playmaker ability, big, strong arm, can drive the ball down the field. I don't know if that if Jared Goff would be classified as that very often. I think he almost kind of reverts back to a more precision passer pocket, you know, type of rhythm, smooth, different type of skill set than maybe some of the guys that you see playing at a really high level right now across the league. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious, do you like, uh, are you a stats guy? Do you like stats? Is there a quarterback stat that you think is, should be held in high regard over the others? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I look at all of them. I don't necessarily, it's always a fun discussion to see, you know, is, is winning a quarterback stat? Uh-huh. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think that there, there are elements of that that are true. But I look across the board uh, for a handful of different stats, whether it's, you know, as a coach, I coach high school football, you know, we, we mm. are very uh, cognizant of a handful of stats, whether it be turnovers, explosive plays, yards per attempt, you know, things like that, that are, but that's kind of, again, tethered more offensive scheme wise than necessarily yeah. position performance wise. Yeah, because if you were looking at something like intended air yard per pass attempt, you would look at Drew Brees and, and the last few years of his career, especially, and you would say he's the worst in the NFL in intended air yards per pass attempt. Does that mean that, you know, he's down there with Sam Darnold and, and some other, you know, and I, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus and say, well, Sam Darnold, but we know that certain quarterbacks haven't been successful. And Kyle Allen, these are the names that are popping up in my head where Drew Brees lived, but he's Drew Brees and the offense was going to work to the things that he was capable of doing at that point in his career. And because he's Drew Brees and he's so talented, he's able to have success where others are not having success. So his yard, our yards per attempt would maybe not be as high and Aaron Rodgers over the last previous five years prior to 2020 he didn't have a high yards per attempt and I there were a lot of people in the analytics community that started saying well Aaron Rodgers is overrated and then as soon as Aaron Rodgers wanted to show that he could win MVP he won MVP and and he put up the best numbers in the NFL and uh, you know that's neither here nor there I guess I'm just having a side thought here but uh, absolutely like uh, I think that Stats will be a part of what changes in the Rams offense going from Goff to Stafford quarterback stats and, and the way that they push the ball downfield, uh, as well as a number of other things. But what's really going to be important, perhaps, is style of play schemes and Sean McVay's ability to put new plays in the playbook and to call certain things and to not even have to call certain things because I think that Matthew Stafford uh, has proven over the last 12 years to be a very uh, savvy quarterback who can uh, be aware of what's going on and not to say that Jared Goff 
can't be aware, but I think that there's a new level of awareness. Um, is there, do you, do you think that in terms of Jared Goff to Matthew Stafford, do you think you could uh, give a comparison as far as for their prototypes, as far as their archetypes, like what type of quarterback or like comps from like a different, a, a different era where you could say like, look, uh, Matthew Stafford is like Steve Young and Jared Goff is like, uh, you know, Jim Kelly, and those aren't good comps, but uh, could, do you think like, how would you, how different do you see those two quarterbacks? Oh, well, and this is probably, this is probably not going to be a great answer for you, but I see, I probably see uh, more similarities than others uh, for me. And that, that's why it's, it never, this whole thing has never made that much sense to me. I think mm. physically uh, Matthew Stafford throws the ball down, better and what what i mean by that is has a stronger arm i'm not going to say throws the ball better mm -hmm. across the board but just stretches the field vertically more has more pop in his arm his ability to make more throws and that's in the pocket on a normal cadence rhythm but that's also out of structure outside the pocket the ability to create a little bit now the the part that I think is is always a little bit fascinating, and we t alluded to it a little bit earlier as far as the winning element of it. Mm -hmm. You know, there are certainly people in the league that put Matthew Stafford at the elite of the elite of the quarterbacks and and their attributes and abilities, and and have for the last decade. Right. You no, know, I I either never watched that much Lions film since I played there, or <laughs> I just don't necessarily gravitate to to his vibe or that organization. But when I when I see him, that's not necessarily what pops for me. Mm -hmm. I think he certainly makes some wow throws and has had some really special moments where maybe he's been a little banged up and made some plays and been tough, those types of things. But the collection and body of work over the course of his career, he's certainly a very good quarterback and certainly has a stronger arm than Jared Goff. But when you look at him from a you know 30,000-foot view, when, when you get past the arm thing, and maybe a little bit more athletic, mm -hmm. you know, someone would have to explain to me exactly what the significant, you know, upgrade is in, in that regard. And, and maybe I'm just totally off my rocker and he's going to come in and be the MVP and, and throw for 6,000 yards and, and make everybody look silly. But I just, you know, yes, he can certainly make a bunch of different throws that, that Jared Goff can't down the field, mm -hmm. but how often are you doing that? I mean, yeah. really, you know, like what, how many 40 yard plus throws are, are we making here? And so it's just a, it's obviously there went in a strategic different kind of approach and I'll be fascinated to see how it works out. But to me, it's a little bit more of a wash than a massive upgrade that I think maybe some people are labeling it. I have so many questions that run through my head as, as you're talking and, and it's because I, I want to go in so many different directions and get your, your, your opinion on these things. So I'm trying to like, make sure that I'm prioritizing the best questions here. And, and what I want to think about my first thought right now is just, do you think that Tom Brady winning the Super Bowl, going to the Bucks last year and winning the Super Bowl, do you think that that made teams a little crazy this year? Do you think that teams are over emphasizing this? You mean just as far as like old quarterbacks? <laughs> you know, that's the, that's, uh, you know, do I, that's what I talk like just about in the terms of like the age thing has changed because, you know, you're 41, you're younger than Tom Brady. You're not, you're younger than Drew Brees. You know, you, can you imagine as your, as yourself, 
do, are you surprised or do you think like, no, I mean, like, I, I guess that this makes sense. Like, are you surprised or do you think that this is a, a, a passing fad? Yeah, I'm definitely surprised. You know, I don't, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I can tell you that how I feel, you know, I, I probably don't take care of myself quite <laughs> as well as some of those other guys. And, and, you know, I also don't feel like I felt when I was 25. Mm -hmm. And so, I, you know, I think that there, there will be at some point, some kind of comeback to earth as far as the age thing. And I, you know, I know the, the plyos thing will, will make you more flexible and be able to survive and you know, mm -hmm. the diet thing and the nutrition thing and all those things. But to me, you know, it, it's still, there's a big difference between being you know, 24, between 24 and 27 or 27 and 32 than being 35. And, yeah. and it just, and I, it has become a little bit more of the norm. And it will be fascinating to see if everybody, you know, can can take care of themselves like that and find whatever recipe those older guys have found to survive. But, uh, you know, I think that will be one of the stories we look back on this generation and probably another generation and be like, you know, how, how are some of these guys doing this? And, and what does it look like to, to peel back what that experience was to have some of these guys playing at such a high level for so long, either really special or, or really bizarre. So, yeah, tell. you know, just thinking about it now, you know, it's just how much our perceptions of things are manipulated so easily or changed because from what I remember a year ago, even though Tom Brady was the number one free agent and even though he, because the Bucks, uh, excuse me, the Patriots got the best comp pick for Tom Brady. Like he was the number one free agent signed a two-year deal. There was a little bit of, but there was like, other than a little bit of like fighting over him to some degree, I remember a lot, I remember a lot of people, you know, being like, okay, but nobody's worried that the Patriots are losing Tom Brady. People think that Tom Brady is going to serve as similar to the way that Philip Rivers served in Indianapolis as a quarterback who was, was an upgrade and capable, but it made no, nobody was surprised when he walked away after the season. And yet here we are now saying, well, Aaron Rodgers is 37, 38, he might have six years left. And Matt Ryan is 36. He might have five years left. And Matthew Stafford here, he's going to be 33. Uh, and how much time does he have left? Did the Rams trade for three years or five years or 10 years? And that's sort of a big question is, and it'll pertain to how much value they get out of this. Um, you mentioned uh, briefly that you were on the Lions. I mentioned it briefly as well. Uh, your time on the Lions came a couple of years before Stafford's time. Your time on time the Lion came, Lions came with a different coaching staff. And so I, I can't compare it one-to-one, -one, but there is something about franchises like the Lions where they're not going to be able to escape the criticisms of being like the most hapless franchise or one of the most hapless franchises until they start winning some playoff games. You know, even the Browns, they got to go out there and win some playoff games before people start saying that there's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong when your time with the lions franchise, like, do you see that as like Matthew Stafford's coming out of a very uh, difficult place to play? Because that is how it's perceived. That is how it's pitched a lot is that, Matthew Stafford is escaping the Lions. Did you feel anything with your time in the Lions like that a person couldn't be as successful there? And I, 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 I know it might be hard to talk about a franchise that way, but like, what, what are your thoughts there? 
my 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 thoughts are basically yes. You know, I, I think that it's when you're in an organization that has been we'll call it dysfunctional mm-hmm. uh, for all, a significant amount of time. There are usually uh, layers and layers of issues that impact what we see on the field on Sundays. And it usually starts from the top down and, you know, it's hard NFL ownership, you know, personnel decisions, you know, those types of decisions can leave lasting impacts and sears in an organization and, and can really impact the thought process and the expectations within a building and so for him to get a fresh start in an organization with an organization uh in a pretty new building mm-hmm. that has had some success recently well i would guess be a huge kind of breath of fresh air for him and now i also think that there are elevated expectations when you go mm-hmm. to a super bowl contender you know no one's call- no one's predicting the lions to win the super bowl no one's predicting, mm-hmm. you know, th- that type of offensive execution at the highest level that, as the Rams have done for him. And so it will be different. I, I don't necessarily think it's a it's a massive deal one way or another, especially for a guy who's been a franchise guy for so long. But I bet he feels pretty good driving into work. And, and you know, it's just a, a different vibe and a different level of expectation when you're in an organization that is used to winning. And so it's, it, it is more fun. It is a, a different vibe in the building. And I, and I think it's kind of contagious, to be honest with you. Uh, and uh, I, I want to focus, for, um, as we head towards the end of the show here, I want to focus maybe on the last couple of years for Stafford, uh, those statistics that I mentioned. His statistics got better in the last couple of years under offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel. Uh, and he also, you know, had to deal with uh, – and related to that dysfunction to some degree, but also just the nature of the game. You know, he barely had Kenny Galladay. He barely had his, you know, his top receiver, his receivers, you know, Marvin Jones and uh, Danny Amendola at the end of his career. And, uh, you know, even despite that, putting up some pretty good numbers, he had to, he had to work through a coaching, a coach getting fired. Uh, although that was like more towards the end of his time with the lions. Um, you've worked with Daryl Bevel, even though uh, I don't know how much even Daryl Bevel is the same as when you worked with them. Uh, thoughts on Stafford within the offense, within Bevel's offense. Like, do you see that as a, as a good reason why his numbers improved in the last couple of years? And also thoughts on uh, sort of working as a quarterback in the middle of, well, now I've got a new different receiver. You know, now I've, there's changes here. Now I've got a new coach. Like in the middle of a season, how big of a how big of an impact does that have? Well, the last part is it's a, it's a massive impact, and it, it, again, it might be a breath of fresh air. Also, though, uh, I think the thing you know, I'm not going to be able to speak with any sort of certainty at all uh, when I'm talking about the impact of what the offense and, and kind of his surge in stats has been the last few years. But I will say my limited experience with Daryl, he's going to run West coast stuff. And now he's going to go over to Sean McVay who runs a, a different iteration of it, but similar language. Mm-hmm. So the uh, kind of the translation will be a little bit faster for him. It's, it's never the exact same verbiage, but it's a lot of the same principles, a lot of the similar plays may be called differently or, you know, little words, but the, the essence of the offense will be very similar. And so that part of it will accelerate the learning, accelerate 
his ability to start to thrive in the offense a little bit faster. And as far as the thing about working, you know, without some of your top guys on the perimeter or some changeover on the perimeter, again, that, that's life in the league for most guys. You know, if, if you're fortunate, you, you, you have a, a big time number one wide receiver, but that turnover seemingly happens all the time. And so mm-hmm. it, it will probably just, again, be another kind of element where he's able to come in and work with these new guys for him in L.A., and uh, and build those relationships as quickly as possible. But and you know Tom Brady's a perfect example of that. You know I, I think what the Bucks looked like early in the year was not what the Bucks looked like in the playoffs. Yeah. And so you you, you got to understand that the long term vibe of the season and, and continually getting better and having that mindset. But I, I'll be fascinated to see Stafford if they get an opportunity to to really make a deep run in the playoffs because a. It just it adds so much length to the season. It's just a different mentality when you're, uh, you know, when you're kind of have your bags packed in December, versus oh, making a long run in January. Uh, and finally, I, 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 with regards to again that personnel around Stafford in the quarterback position, uh, one thing that the Rams uh, sort of didn't put high on their priority list was making any outside upgrades to their offensive line, especially, or including, I should say, uh, center, which, uh, you know, losing Austin Blythe, which, you know, you can be on any sort of page about how anyone wants to feel about Austin Blythe. Clearly the NFL wasn't too interested or, or like, fighting over uh, the Rams outgoing center. The Rams feel fine with Austin Corvett uh, being the center right now and, and working with some new pieces on the offensive line, a new starting right guard in Bobby Evans, but they'll have a couple mainstays at tackle with Andrew Whitworth, although he's now uh, 40, if we're talking, you know, again about the age and uh, Rob Havenstein on the left side, on the right side. Uh, I'm curious for Rams fans out there, there's a lot of emphasis on the offensive line as there is with every team all the time and every team's fan base, it seems, but uh, for the Rams and every team's fans base thinks that they have the worst offensive line, I think, but uh, uh, with regards to the Rams, you know, how I'm, I've always kind of like, thought isn't it crazy that so many Super Bowl teams do seem to have great centers I don't know like I think like there is some sort of through line there whether it's centers or the relationship between center and quarterback to some degree but I don't know how big is that for like Stafford and Corbett to like immediately like be on the same page and 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 have that sort of uh, relationship working so well, as well as like quality depth at the center position, or do you think like the Rams, maybe they didn't prioritize it because it's just not that big of a priority. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of come down somewhere in the middle on this. I, I think that it certainly can be a massive asset when there's a great relationship between the center and the quarterback. And I don't mean like, you know, not dropping the snap. I mean, essentially working together in the pass protection run game. And so every offense is going to be a little bit different about who's making the calls consistently, who's making the mic point, who's making the redeclarations. It's all, it's usually the quarterback has kind of the final veto power, but some offenses, the quarterback has almost nothing to do with it, where other offenses, the quarterback is, is doing almost everything. And so, you know, what that relationship is like in the Rams building, I couldn't tell you, but, but I can tell you that there's a big difference playing quarterback when you feel really good about the guys up front and, and when you have that confidence to be able to stand back there and deliver the ball where you need to deliver it, when you need to deliver it consistently versus feeling like, you know, you got potentially trains coming at you or a tidal wave that, that you're drowning in with pressure. And so 
I think it's a massive issue and, and big concern. And it's fascinating that Big Wit is still doing it at a, such a high level, so old. That yeah. dude's an amazing athlete and has been for a long time. I played, uh, shoot, I played with him, feels like a lifetime ago in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, big athletic, dynamic dude. And, and what they really ask them to do in that wide zone, outside zone world is get out there and run and be athletic and, and do those types of things. So it will be fascinating to see how that offensive line holds up and what Stafford's kind of relationship with, with, you know, health and throwing the mm -hmm. ball from within the pocket and what that time looks like in the run game and all those types of things go hand in hand, but it's certainly a priority for every organization, whether they made the moves or not, they have to feel pretty good about who they have in the building. Yeah. I'm very excited. I think uh, just to see how this, I think Stafford acquisition, this, the Stafford acquisition was the biggest uh, move still uh, of the off season. And to have that, uh, whether you're a Rams fan or not, just, uh, I think it'll be really interesting to see what a, you know, what a former number one pick who's, who's been sort of uh, hard to find uh, in the mainstream because of where he plays for him to go to now a team that you know has a new five billion dollar stadium and five primetime games and uh, will be very much on the national picture uh whatever however it goes it'll be really interesting to watch uh jt o'sullivan thank you so much everybody out there listening to this again go to youtube.com slash the qb school or search for the qb school uh jt is prolific you know videos regularly coming out and uh again you can learn a lot and if that's not enough, uh, I recommend also patreon.com slash the QB school uh, for the getting into the inner circle. So uh, check that out. JT, anything else that you would like to say or plug or where people can find you? No, that's it. I appreciate the support. I have a blast on uh, on through YouTube. And it's just one of those things where it uh, as it continues to grow, if you have suggestions for videos, feel free to drop them in the comments. I do my best to, to make sure I weed through as many good suggestions as I possibly can and, and just continue to have fun uh, taking a peek at behind the scenes at ball. Well, my first, I always keep asking for more Grayson McCall, you know, I, this is my, uh, this is my, this is nobody else is saying this. This is my Zach Wilson. And no, and this is what I'm saying. He's going to be Heisman candidate first round pick, but that's just me. Let everyone else decide for yourself. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I did one. I watched one game and I don't think it was his best game. So maybe I'll yeah. go back and take another peek at it. We'll see. Uh, yeah. Uh, if I, uh, I appreciate uh, all the coverage that uh, you're doing uh, and everyone out there to uh, who's listening. I appreciate you listening. Uh, that's it for this episode of pod TSD. Come back next week for another episode of something. Hmm.